Would you please remain standing as I read the scripture this morning from Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And when he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to you to embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is your, in your power to do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they, ca- so that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You, you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kingsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar born Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Glenn. Appreciate you reading that. Welcome to Disciples Church, everyone, and welcome. My name is uh, Dave Hahn. I am one of the pastors here at Disciples Church, and it is always my privilege to be able to open God's Word with and for you this morning. I'm excited to be in this morning's passage, but if I'm honest with you, the songs that we have already sung and the words that we have already read today, in some ways, we could just go home because that's the gospel. And so it's been a huge blessing and encouragement to me to be able to sing these true words with you this morning. In 2021, the pharmaceutical industry spent over $6.5 billion in total advertising. And it accounted for 75% of the TV advertising that we see. And personally, I actually struggle to figure out what these drugs are for and what they actually fix. I just know that if you take them, apparently you get to kayak and go to the picnics a lot. (laughs) These commercials seem to spend way more time laying out the dozens of things that may go wrong if you take it, rather than the one thing that you hope goes right. 
And at the end of the ad, if you're like me, you're thinking, I think I'm going to take my chances with whatever is currently ailing me rather than put myself into that world and potentially have a million other things go wrong. Of course, one of the rules of pharmaceutical advertising is that they are forced to tell you about the potential side effects that go along with it. And wouldn't it be great if everything in life was that way? Imagine how much pain and agony we might have avoided if we were forced to listen to the warning language before we made those decisions. It might not have always made a difference, I suppose, if we got that warning language, because sometimes we actually do know about the potential consequences, but we do or we say those things anyway. And that, my friends, is called sin. Before Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, God told them that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. But Satan caused them to doubt God's word. They ate of it anyway, and they did die, both spiritually and then ultimately physically. And Satan does the same to you, and he does the same to me and everyone else in this world. In the history of the people of God, we see bad decision after bad decision being made, even though God routinely made clear what happens when we ignore him and we go our own way. In general, Satan and sin and our flesh love to make promises that they can never, ever deliver on. And though earthly consequences for our sinful choices usually come, God in his love is merciful and he is gracious and he rescues us from the worst of those consequences, namely eternal and spiritual separation from him. He rescues us from that. And that, my friends, is the good news of the gospel that we find in the whole of Scripture. It is the story that we actually see play out here in Genesis 16, as Glenn read it for us. It is for those who are the chosen of God, and sometimes, as we will see and as we have already read, it is sometimes for those who are not necessarily the chosen of God. His grace and his mercy abound. So let's look again at verses 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So over the last several weeks, we have been looking at the story of Abram and Sarai, whose names ultimately and soon will become Abraham and Sarah. And as Jonathan did last week, if you were here, I am going to refer to Abram and Sarai as Abraham and Sarah, respectively, just to avoid any confusion. Let's just jump ahead and give them the names that we actually know them by. Does that sound good? Okay, cool. So in Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah tried to provide a family for themselves. That's what's going on here, right? 
rather than trust in and wait on God to provide a family for themselves rather than trust in and wait on God. And in these four verses, Sarah is experiencing great grief due to unmet expectations and misplaced hope. Unmet expectations and misplaced hope. As Tim Keller wisely said, our level of disappointment is directly connected to where we have placed our hope. Very often, half of the pain we are experiencing is not from the suffering. Rather, it is from false expectations of how our life should be. Think about that. Our disappointments and our sufferings are often in relationship to misplaced expectations and false hopes. Sarah, like all of us, struggled with not receiving what she expected. In our modern world, in this Western culture especially, it is normal to want some variation of what we kind of call the American dream, right? A good job, a spouse, a kids, a home to call our own, and a long, healthy life for us to enjoy those things. And we want and we expect those things because we have somehow come to believe that it is common and that we deserve it. That it is common and that we deserve it. And those expectations grow ever deeper when we see people around us who have those things. But do you realize, do you realize how unusual those things are in the scope of the history of the world? How abnormal it is for a sizable portion of our current global population. And most importantly, how unheard of those things were for Jesus and most of his followers. Where, my friends, have we gotten the idea that life in God is one of ease and comfort and riches and all of the things that we can dream? As Christians who are saved by grace alone, should not we be marked by contentedness and humility and thankfulness rather than entitlement? We say it here at Disciples Church often, but it's important to remember, what you and I deserve is death and hell and eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. But God, in His mercy, has spared us from what we deserve, and in His immeasurable grace, He has given us what we do not Believers and unbelievers alike enjoy God's unmerited favor. So, my friends, we need to be careful in placing too much hope and expectation on people and on things that cannot promise or provide what we hope for and what we expect. And we must remember that God's promises are the only promises that will not and cannot fail. It is He who we must put our greatest hope and trust in, God himself. Sometimes, as in the case of Abraham and Sarah, God only tells us what he is going to do, not how or when he is going to do it. 
Yes, God promised Abraham and Sarah an heir, but he never said when he would come. And Abraham and Sarah ultimately lost hope and got tired of waiting. The arrangement that Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar made was culturally normative in their time and place, although it certainly seems unusual to us. And while we certainly see surrogacy and polygamy described in Scripture, understand that it is never endorsed. It is never endorsed. Description, my friends, is not prescription. Without question, God's intent and design for marriage and for family is one man and one woman through whom families are established and through whom they flourish. And where we see mankind step outside of God's design, we always see sinfulness and we see brokenness. And that was certainly the case here in the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. And my friends, I think God puts these stories in the Bible in part to demonstrate that the men and women that we tend to make heroes of in Scripture are not heroes at all. They're not heroes at all. They are just as screwed up, sometimes more so, and in need of God's grace as you and I and that there is only one hero in Scripture, and his name is Jesus Christ. Christ himself is the hero of Scripture, and everyone else is in need of his saving grace. Now, assuming the best of Sarah, it is possible that she believed that God's promise was for Abraham alone and did not include her. Maybe the promised heir would come another way, she was thinking, perhaps through a surrogate mother like Hagar. But either way, my friends, her decision really reflected a lack of faith in God's power and sovereignty, even over her womb. Believing that God needed human ingenuity to accomplish what he had already promised he would do. And it reflected a disregard for marriage as God designed it in that she gave Hagar to Abraham as another wife. Sarah sinned in and through making the suggestion, but Abraham sinned by listening to and obeying counsel he knew to be wrong and sinful. Sarah made the suggestion, but Abraham listened and obeyed, though he knew it was wrong. And as such, Abraham does not get to say to God, as Adam did, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. Eve ate of the fruit first and then gave it to Adam as he watched. Sarah made the suggestion, but ultimately Abraham made the decision. And my friends, he at least shares the blame. God has called husbands to gently but firmly lead their homes and their churches and to help protect those in their care from ungodly and unwise decisions and behaviors. That's the role that men have been given. And in this circumstance, like others before and after, Abraham failed to do so. And he went into Hagar rather than trusting in and listening to God. Disciples Church, God does not need our help in accomplishing His will. He does not need our help in accomplishing His will. 
God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. Nor is cleanliness as next to godliness and countless others. And do you know that God helps those who help themselves is actually the opposite of what we find in Scripture? God actually seems to reject the proud and the self-sufficient, and he comes alongside to help the desperate and the humble. So my friends, let me ask you a question that I'd ask you to consider this week. Where is it that you are striving and working to try and accomplish what only God can? Where are you striving and working to try and accomplish what only God can? Because his call to you in that is be still. Be still and know that I am God. Continuing in verse 5 of 16. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So in Genesis 12, through their scheming, if you remember, Abraham and Sarah were given safety from, from Pharaoh, and they were also given lavish gifts in their time in Egypt. But it did not all go to plan. That wasn't all they got. The plagues did come, and their relationship was damaged. And as Jonathan mentioned, they ultimately traded their future for the present. And don't we do the same? That's certainly what's happening here in chapter 16. In a certain sense, Abraham and Sarah's plan for having a child did work. Hagar did get pregnant, but it didn't work out exactly how they thought it would. Yes, Hagar was pregnant with Abraham's son, but he was not the promised heir. And upon becoming pregnant, Hagar treated Sarah like she was nothing, while Sarah, feeling cursed by God, grew angry and embittered toward Abraham and Hagar. I bet you that was not part of the plan. And though Abraham got Hagar pregnant, he ultimately ran from the mess that he made. And he told Sarah that Hagar was her problem to deal with, rather than ultimately dealing with the consequences of his own sin. This is a marital, relational, and spiritual train wreck. Dumpster fire, if you will. As has often been said, my friends, we are free to make choices, but we are not free from the consequences of our choices. Yes, we are free to make choices in some sense, but we are not free from the consequences of those choices. Now, do you remember the three words that we have kind of been using to encapsulate this current sermon series? It is blessing, sin, and grace. We see those three things repeating themselves through these stories that we read. So God had chosen and ultimately blessed Abraham and Sarah. 
to be his people, the people through whom he would build a nation and ultimately redeem the world, though they had repeatedly sinned against him. But God, the rescuer, savior, and redeemer, did not leave them in their sin. Instead, he showered them with mercy and with grace, and he didn't just do that for them. He also extended his grace to one who was not initially chosen nor included in the promise. And when Abraham did not provide for his wife Hagar, God did. When mankind fails, God does not. My friends, what a, what a God we serve. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. So throughout chapter 16, Hagar, if you notice, is only referred to by Abraham and Sarah as a maid or as a servant, depending on which translation you're using. But here, in these verses, when the angel of the Lord visits her, he calls her by her name, Hagar. He calls her by her name, not just a maid, not just a servant. And my friends, that little thing should encourage us and it should bless us and serve as a reminder that no matter how expendable or invaluable we may be to other people, God sees us differently. And he knows us by name, intimately, because we matter to him greatly. In verses 7 through 11, the angel of the Lord gave Hagar two instructions the first of which was to return to Sarah and to submit to her. Now, we have talked about servanthood and submission at length in our time together as a church. And at a high level, if you haven't been around, what we have said is that servanthood in the Bible usually reflects a willful employee and employer relationship. It is willful in the decision to be so. And we have also said that submission and servanthood are not indicative of one's worth or value to God. It is not indicative of one's worth or value to God. In that, God's own Son, Jesus Christ, came to serve and submit Himself even unto the point of death. So how could servanthood have anything to do with one's worth. If Christ himself came as a servant unto the point of death. So when we find the angel of the Lord instructing Hagar to submit to Sarah, we are reminded of the examples and instructions found elsewhere in scripture where believers are encouraged and inspired to submit to those in authority over them, whether it be the government, employers, husbands, parents, elders, And not to submit because these authorities are always lovely people and inherently worthy of such an honor. 
but rather to do so because when we do, we serve and honor God himself just as Christ did in submitting to those that God has put in authority over us, we are ultimately submitting to, serving, and worshiping God himself, just as Christ did unto the point of death on a cross. Now, Hagar, like all who encounter God, was commanded to reflect a covenantal, one-way love, even unto her enemy. Not contractual, where I'll love you and submit to you if you do this. No, no. The love of God is covenantal and says, I'm going to do it anyway. She was commanded to reflect a covenantal one-way love even unto her enemy, just as God had done unto her. And then to trust God would protect and provide for her as she did so because he promised that he would. That's one of the hardest parts of submission, right? Is going, well, what if they treat me badly? What if they do badly? We trust that God is going to protect and to provide because it is ultimately He that we are submitting to. Continuing in verse 10 through the end. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Laharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So in verse 11 is where we find the second command to Hagar from the angel of the Lord, who, who had confirmed that Hagar was indeed pregnant with a son and that she was to call him Ishmael. Call his name Ishmael. Now the name Ishmael in Hebrew means God will hear or God will listen. My friends, God saw Hagar, and he called her by name, and he listened to her cries, even when no one else did. He saw her, and he called her, and he listened to her when no one else would. And do you know that this is the first appearance in Scripture of the angel of the Lord? This is the first time that the angel of the Lord appears to someone. And I'll have you notice that he did not first appear to Noah, nor to Enoch, nor to Abram. Instead, he appeared to Hagar, a single, pregnant slave woman. So even in the midst of this angel's command, we learn something about the character of God, my friends, that he sees the forgotten, and that he hears the afflicted, and that he saves the least likely. So my friend, are you 
in a place where you feel unnoticed or unheard. Or maybe you're wondering if God sees you or knows you or hears you at all. Would you let this passage encourage you that like Hagar, God does see your affliction and that he hears your every cry, all of them. His love for you has been made clear in that you are actually hearing this encouraging word. He wants you to know. He has shown you love in that you have always been provided for. You have always had at least what you need. And most of all, he has shown his love in that he gave his very son for your every sin. The presence of God and the evidence of his love and care were ultimately revealed to Hagar. And she declared in worship her faith in God through her cry in verse 13 where she cried, you are a God of seeing. A revelation to her and a joy to her. And it was memorialized, this faith, in the naming of the well, which stood as a lasting reminder of God's loving, watchful, and providential eye, Bir Laha Roy. Here in chapter 16, we learn that God sees and he hears us, all of us. And that concept, my friend, should appear to you as a loving one, not a fearful one. In that God is a father who cares deeply for his children. And he is a relentless pursuer of those who are not yet his children, but one day will be. He cares deeply for his children and he relentlessly pursues those who are not yet his children, but one day will be. And as a dad myself, I can assure you, as I have often assured Seth, that there is nothing that a child says or does that is not of great interest to a loving parent. I even love to watch Seth sleep. No, that's not creepy. <laughs> I love to watch him sleep. The point of me saying all that is this. I am obviously a selfish, imperfect, sinful man who loves his kid that way. So how much greater then must the love of our perfectly heavenly Father be for us? If I love him that way, how much more must God love us? Now ultimately, Hagar returned to Abraham and Sarah and bore a son, and Abraham named him Ishmael. Perhaps this being an indication that Abraham was prepared to do what was right for Hagar and Ishmael, and perhaps that he was ready once again to do what God had commanded him to do. We're not given insight into that. But prophetically, the story of Ishmael and his descendants continues to play out in our modern context. In that, the story of Ishmael and his descendants is deeply connected to those of an Arabic background and the Muslim faith. Jews and Christians believe that Isaac was the child of the promise and that Jews follow in Isaac's bloodline, whereas Arabs and Muslims believe that the promised child was Ishmael and follow in his bloodline. And we see the conflict between these two 
the descendants of Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael carry on even today. Just as God said would be so in verses 11 and 12. Disciples Church, God will eventually ask all of us to do things that we don't want to do or feel as though we cannot do. Abraham and Sarah were asked to wait for a promised child. And as of this chapter, it had been 11 years. And they were not getting younger. Hagar was asked to return to and submit to a woman that she hated and who ultimately hated her. And they were all asked to trust God's will, God's plan, and God's timing, just as we are. So what is it, my friends, that God is asking of you today? What is God asking of you today? Which part or parts of your life are you unwilling to surrender to God and trust Him with? What won't you trust Him with? What won't you surrender to Him? And are you at least willing to not justify or excuse yourself for holding on to what you should be letting go of? Are you at least willing to stop making excuses and justifying it? Are you willing to confess to God himself and a trusted brother and sister in Christ that you're really struggling to obey in this one place and you're struggling to let go and surrender? And then would you ask them to pray for you to that end? Are you willing to be bold enough to ask God to change your heart and your mind on that matter? and then believe that he will. You can't do it on your own. God changes hearts. God changes minds. God changes what it is that we desire. Friends, there are two ways to live this life. Our way and God's way. That's it. You live life your way or you live life God's way. And every person alive is doing one or the other. Paul, in writing to the church of Galatia, made a distinction between these two ways of living. And he used the births of Ishmael and Isaac to illustrate his point. Ishmael representing the flesh and ultimately slavery to the things that ought not enslave. And then Isaac representing the spirit of God and freedom. Listen to Galatians 4 as I read it for you. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Jumping ahead to verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. That's Isaac. So also it is now. And then finishing in 31. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is written to Christians in the city of Galatia. 
Abraham and Sarah tried to gain God's promise in their own strength without relying on God to do what he said he would do when he saw fit to do it. And like them, instead of humbling ourselves and trusting God with everything that afflicts us, including our biggest problems being sin and death, we depend on our own resourcefulness and try to make things happen on our own. We can fix ourselves, God. We can save ourselves, God. We got it. But do you know that all Abraham and Sarah got for their efforts was a son who would ultimately not be the heir, nor the fulfillment of God's promise to them, and all kinds of other trouble. In the same way, when we try to earn what only God can give and live according to our flesh rather than God's spirit and his promises, we get messes of our own making and fall short of the glory and the good that God has in mind for us the worst of which, of course, is missing out on his eternal presence through the rejection of his son. That's the worst. Like most of us, Abraham and Sarah wanted God's blessing, but they did not want it on his terms. And there is simply no joy or freedom in that. Just three chapters into the Bible in Genesis 3, immediately on the heels of Adam and Eve and their sinful betrayal, God made a promise that would take millennia for him to fulfill. In Genesis 3.15, God said to Satan, who took the form of a serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Friends, generation after generation of those chosen by God looked for the day when their Messiah, their rescuer, would come. Including, by the way, a stretch of 400 years between Malachi and Christ's birth where God went silent. No prophets, no kings, no judges. Our nation is 200 and some years old. And God went silent for 400. And they had been waiting millennia for this promised Messiah. And then 4,000 years after Adam in a nowhere town to nobody parents, God did what he had long promised to do. He gave one who would ultimately be the fulfillment of Genesis 3 and another 400 or so promises and prophecies about him. He had finally fulfilled his promise, including the promise that he gave to Abraham, and he did so in the person of his only begotten son. Nobody could have or would have guessed that. God, in his sovereign grace, chose a people for himself, beginning with Abraham, and to a person they were unfaithful to him as we have been unfaithful to him, but God was and has remained ever faithful to them, establishing and fulfilling an eternal covenant for his glory on their behalf. And where they and we would not and could not obey, Jesus did. Where they and we deserved death for our disobedience, Jesus took the punishment in full on the cross so that we would never have to. 
where righteousness, spotlessness, and blamelessness was necessary to stand before a holy God, Christ in his death and resurrection graciously gave it to us by exchanging his life for ours. So that God, when looking upon us, would see his son and not our sin. And that same Christ promised in Matthew 28 to be with us always, even unto the end of the age. Disciples Church, Jesus Christ is the true child of the promise that God made to Abraham and to all who would believe as he did. So friends, do not be slaves to your fleshly desires or your need to control circumstances. Don't take good gifts like marriage, children, careers, or any other good thing and make them ultimate things where you'll do anything to get them because without them you feel incomplete. And most of all, do not try and earn through your own efforts what God in his grace came to freely give you. Full forgiveness and eternal life in Christ. Because my friends, in doing any of that, all you'll get is Ishmael. When what you need, and what I need, is Isaac. Supernaturally born of God and his spirit, set free to live in him, with him, and for him, even as we are heirs unto him. We need the true Isaac. So my friends, God sees you and me and he hears you and me, even when we feel as though no one else does. He knows us and he loves us and he came to set us free from self-effort and he came to set us free from ourselves, from sin, from death and every other one of Satan's lies. So would you give yourself to him completely? Would you surrender to him completely? Would you trust him completely with your todays, your tomorrows, just as you trust him with your eternity? Because he is God and he deserves nothing less. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how grateful we are to be your chosen covenant people in Christ. Thank you for being faithful though we are often faithless. Thank you for the gift of faith and the revelation of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. We confess that we too often live as though we are God of our own lives rather than surrendering to and trusting in you. We confess that we live as though you are not enough and we make idols of people, things, relationships, our health, and every other grace that you have given. Would you help us to run to you in our sin and to rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for our full forgiveness? Reveal to us, Lord, where we are striving for what can only come from you according to your will. Remind us that all we have been promised is all we truly need, your love, your forgiveness, your life, and your everlasting presence. Father, for those in this room and within the sound of my voice who have not yet come to believe in, trust in, and surrender to Jesus, would you give them a new heart and a new life in him today? 
Save them according to your will and be glorified. And for those, Lord, who do believe, would you strengthen us, encourage us, convict us, convince us, and help us to abide in Jesus, the true promise who is our life. Thank you that you see, hear, and care deeply for the oppressed, the afflicted, and the forgotten. Let us turn to you as Hagar did in worship and with the assurance that you will do what you said you would do and then help us to wait with hope for your will to be done. In Christ's name we ask and we pray. Amen.